about making choices. And I've got lots and lots of scriptures, so I had to make a choice as to which ones to leave out, uh, which I probably didn't make enough choices about leaving people things out. Anyway, praise the Lord. But I want to start off right in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, where uh, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and Adam had been given the instructions of they could eat any fruit that they like of any of the trees that were there except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then uh, Eve was uh, formed and uh, he obviously told her but probably didn't tell her very well because she didn't listen very well or whatever. And uh, so she was tempted by the devil in the form of a serpent and uh, said to her, we read it there in Genesis 3 and verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said, You will not surely die, for God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave unto her husband with her and he did eat. And so we see the choices were made. Eve chose to listen to the serpent, to the devil, instead of to God. And then Adam chose to listen to his wife instead of listening to God. And uh, so... That's where all the trouble started in the human race. And so we know from there that uh, that they were put out of the garden and so on. So you see a sample there right in the opening pages of the Bible of uh, choices. And so many times we look about choices. Well, if there's going to be a choice, there's got to be two options, doesn't there? And so that's what happened over in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Uh, just a sample of a few things. And we're going to read there, just uh, picking up a verse here and there. And um, <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 30, that's the fifth book in the Bible. And it starts with a D rather than a J, if you're looking it up at the index. And uh, we read there in verse 15, where God said to Israel, See, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil. So if you choose life, it'll be good. If you choose evil, it'll be death. And he goes on to say a number of other things. But down in verse 19 we read, where God said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. Now there's an important point there, that when we have children, uh, we have a responsibility to make good choices, because the choice that we make, or the choices that we make, will have impact on them. And uh, he said, if you make the right choice here, your children, and you and your children will live. But if you make the wrong choices, it will lead to disaster. And uh, so that's the theme that travels all the way through when you're looking at making choices, particularly where God is concerned. It's not a matter of whether you have wheat mix or cornflakes for breakfast. They'll probably both kill you. But anyway, uh, if we go to uh, Joshua and chapter... Uh, uh, 24, right at the end of his reign, and uh, <clears throat> it's yeah, it's nearly time for him to go, and um, and he says in uh, chapter 
Joshua 24 and verse 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, he's saying to these people that had been in the promised land for some time, he said, Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so he's saying here that I'm telling you that you should choose the Lord, but if you don't want to do that, the only choices that you've got are to go to some form of other religion, back to what your forefathers were doing, or you can take up the religion of the people in the land in which you dwell. And so what had actually happened, that Israel had occupied this land, but the influence of the uh, the old uh, religions that were there were still around, and the people of Israel were starting to be influenced. And he said, well, I can't make you all follow what I'm doing, but I'm setting the example here. For me and my house, my family, we're going to follow the Lord. And so they said, oh, no, we, we, we're certainly going to follow the Lord. And he said, I don't think you will. And uh, Moses came up against similar things later on when the law was brought in and so on. And people, oh, yes, we're going to do it God's way. But they, they didn't. They did for a while, maybe. I want to pick up a little story in the book of Ruth, which is, um, uh, yes, here it is. When you put little stickers in in your Bible, you can find it easier. So, But if you knew what I was going to talk about, you could put them in. But then I didn't know until this morning anyway. So there we go. So the book of Ruth. Now, it's a wonderful story. And uh, this uh, lady, Naomi, uh, she and her husband had left uh, the land of Israel because there was uh, famine there. And they'd gone to a neighboring country. And um, there they had two sons and they married the, uh, into the local community and they each had a, a, a wife from, uh, I think it was Moab we we're talking about here. Anyway, tragedy struck. Uh, all the men folk died, the, the father and the two sons. And so we got these three widows there. And so um, Naomi decides that she would go back to her homeland. And so she took off and the daughters-in-law were coming along with her. And she said, look, don't come with me. You, you, you go back to your own families. Go back and, and stay there and so on. And um, anyway, uh, one of them, Orpah, uh, she, she did. She went back. And we're picking up there in verse uh, 14. And they ripped it up their, their voice and wept, wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. So they'd obviously really bonded together. They'd grieved together at the loss of the, all the menfolk, and, uh, and they really they really loved Naomi, and uh, they wanted to go with her. But Ruth had seen something about Naomi, even though she'd become very bitter with all that had gone wrong in her life. She had been brought up with a belief in the one true God, and Ruth could see something there. And so she wanted not only to be with Naomi, but she wanted to be, and as we go on to read here, um, and, um, well, we'll start again. Verse 14, they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave under her, and she said, Behold thy sister-in-law, this is Naomi saying here, is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. That's what she'd gone back to to her gods. 
return thereafter thy sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go, and whither thou lodgest, I will lodge, and thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. That's the important part. Wherever you die, will I die, and there will I be buried, and the Lord do so to me, and more also if it ought not that death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was said to ask, be minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. And so, that's what happened. Now, Orpah went back. We never hear of her again. Gone into oblivion. But Ruth, what a story. And uh, if you haven't read it, read it through. It's, it's one of the great love stories in the Bible. And there's a lot of them. And so she finished up married to a guy called uh, Boaz. And uh, Boaz was actually the great-grandfather of King David, who, of course, was a an ancestor of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Ruth has gone down in the pages of the Bible as a very famous person. And, of course, she had the blessing of the Lord because she had the, the this, this right out. She made a good choice, or Orpah made the bad choice. And sometimes there's only two choices, either to live or die. Now, in the New Testament, we can see a lot of other examples. Uh, well, I'm quoting from uh, Hebrews 11 uh, of, of Moses, and uh, that's the story in the Old Testament. But it says that when he... Uh, I better read it so I get it right. I delight myself in my memory, and then now and then I make a complete idiot of myself. So we'll go to Hebrews uh, chapter 11, um, and we read in verse 24, there's a great chapter on the faith of people that are mentioned, some of the prime people mentioned in the Old Testament. We read verse 24 of Hebrews 11, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I read this carefully because one time I was saying that he refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter. But these days he'd probably get away with it. But anyway, um, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had uh, respect under the recompense of the reward by faith. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Now, he had a pretty rough life in a way, but what a journey. He finished up leading the children of Israel out of slavery through the Red Sea, 40 years in the wilderness. He didn't make it to the promised land, but he got them to the edge of the promised land. He made a choice to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy, as another translation puts it, the fleeting pleasures of the moment in this natural life. And that's a choice we have to make. We've got the choice, we've got the world out there, Egypt if you like. It's an inviting us to all sorts of things. Lots and lots of treasures I can give to you today. That's the chorus we sing. I won't sing it for you because I don't want you all to go home just yet. But, uh, you know, we, we met Jesus at the crossroads. And, uh, and the devil said, come this way and give you all these pleasures. But I said, no, there's Jesus here. Look what he offers me now. And here my sins forgiven, up there a home in heaven. Praise God, that's the way for me. So it was more or less the choice that Moses made as well. And uh, But while we're here in Hebrews, if we go to the next chapter and we think of the greatest person that ever lived on the face of this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and it talks about him here. 
Verse 1 of Hebrews 12 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, talking of the people who witnessed to us from the Old Testament, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And I guess this is what I want to lead up to in the choices that we make is to what we are prepared to lay aside. We we make a choice, are we going to hold on to this or are we going to put it to one side? Are we going to hoard it or are we going to get a skip in or maybe a, a semi-trailer load to, to get rid of all of this stuff? You know, when we lived in Elizabeth, we had a two-story, uh, not a two-story garage, a double garage, and uh, a bit hard to get up on the top story, and uh, and the, and it was full. There was hardly ever room for the motor car. We moved down to Clarence Gardens, and we had to get our stuff in a tool shed. So it's amazing what we got rid of. And uh, they tell me that there's a, a, a law that um, it talks about junk, it will expand to the space allotted to it. Anyway, so uh, anyway, I know that's true. So anyway, the Lord says we've got a lot of junk that we collect and we are to lay it aside, get rid of it. You know, Sunday night's a great night at our place because they pick up the rubbish bins the next morning and you can take out all sorts of things that you, you don't need anymore. Anyway... So he said, lay aside all the things that distract you. And uh, sometimes that's all you have to do. Just put them aside. Don't battle with them. No, I don't need that anymore. Put it aside. Anyway, we're going to read here. Looking unto Jesus. He's the great example. He teaches us everything we need to know. He's the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame. And we're going to have our communion a little bit later. We remember the broken body, the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember how on the the night in which he was betrayed, he was with his disciples. He partook of the Last Supper with them. He went out in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he was being tempted. He, He realized what was about to happen. He was going to die a cruel death. And he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I, I really don't know how I'm going to handle this. I don't. I prefer not to go with it. But I want to do you above everything else. I want to do your will. What an example he set for us. We have all sorts of things, and and most of us give in far short of that. You know, we we might have to give up playing a game of football or we might have to give up going to the pictures or we might have to or even break off a a romance that is not going in the right direction and all of these sort of things. uh, But the Lord says we've got to do what God wants us to do. It's not about breaking off a romance. Sometimes God tells you to patch up your romance, particularly if it happens to be that you're already married to the person that you used to think was wonderful. Anyway, sometimes people get to the point they look in the mirror and they don't see the person standing behind them. They say, oh, aren't you wonderful? But they're talking to themselves. And it's a pity about that other person that's not good enough for them in their minds. Anyway, I know I'm being sarcastic, but it's all right for me. I've got the perfect wife. She uh, puts up with me. Anyway, praise the Lord. It says, 
So Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. So think about Jesus. What would he have us to do? Now, I really want to get on to, we've looked at a few examples here, but how does it affect us in a personal way? We need to come to the New Testament. It's all very well to look at things in the Old Testament and the great examples, but we're under the New Covenant now. Let's go to the book of Acts on chapter 2. Good place to start, isn't it? How many times have we turned there? I don't know. Are you sick of hearing from Acts chapter 2? <laughs> well, and come when I'm around, or any of these blokes for that matter, they're just as bad. Always betraying with Acts chapter... Yeah, Book of Acts, chapter 2. Anyway. Yes, all right. I should tell you that week, Jack, about the lady from the burglar, but uh, you've probably heard it before. You know, the Acts on 238s, but anyway. Um, right, here we go. Acts chapter 2. Now, this is after Jesus died, rose again, ascended up into heaven, having just told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you get the power from on high. And so it happened on the day of Pentecost. They're all gathered in the upper room, about 120 of them, we're told. And the Holy Spirit was poured out, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke in tongues. A huge crowd gathered from all over Jerusalem. It was, it was God's timing. It was the Feast of Pentecost. They gathered from all nations round about, and they could speak a whole variety of different languages, and they heard these disciples of Jesus speaking different languages under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as the, the Holy Spirit came into their lives. A huge crowd gathered. Peter took the opportunity and preached to them, and he said, God has done this. God raised his son from the dead. The one you crucified, God raised him up, and here's the proof. And it's still the proof today, and all the people said, Amen, praise the Lord. So anyway, as Peter's preaching to them, he says in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, this really hit them. Imagine that you were one of the ones that cried out for him to be killed. And and you think, well, we got rid of him. You know, he, he died and they put him into the tomb. But then the next thing is this strange phenomena of all these people speaking in tongues, and you come along there, and the, the ringleader of this group of people who've left behind, Peter stands up and he said, God raised Jesus from the dead. You killed him, God raised him up again, and here is the proof. Suddenly it hit them. Wow, well, I'm in trouble now, you would have been saying, if you'd been one of them. And we were in a way. We weren't there. Well, I'm, I wasn't there either. You might think I'm pretty old, but I'm not that old. And so it says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now these people had made some choices this day and they were going to make some more. First of all, they chose to observe the phenomena that was happening that day. And uh, some of them, of course, uh, they just tried to pass it off. Oh, they're, they're drunk. They're full of new wine. And Peter said, no, no, it was too early in the morning for that. But 
they uh, so that the rest of them they chose to observe it. Now, what meaneth this? What's going on here? That's an important thing because we find it hard to get people to stop and observe. We want to tell them about all the things that are happening. We got our folks going overseas and so on, and you know, to Africa and the Pacific Islands, and you know, and they're getting. Uh, um, my daughter and son-in-law have just come back from a rally in uh, Vanuatu. I think it was 75 baptisms over there or something. And they said, look, it's just so easy to talk to people. Pastor Tim Rogers has been just been to, where's he gone to this time? Um, Tonga, I think. Is that right? Anybody improve on Tonga? No? Okay. That'll do. Any of those islands, they'll, they'll listen to you. And people are listening. They are prepared to observe. So people made to make that choice. We've got to find people that will actually listen. And uh, it's not always easy. We've got to sift through a lot of dead wood before we, before we uh, uh, I was going to say sift through dead wood before you find a few gems, but maybe they're mixed metaphors. Anyway, but that'll do. We've got to keep trying to find people that will, will, will listen. And sometimes really spectacular miracles will make people sit up and take notice. Anyway, that's what happened here. So they made a choice to listen. And as they listened, they were convicted and they made a choice to do something about it. They were they made a choice to ask, well, what can we do? And so the answer was given, you repent. And so they did repent. And you get baptized. And they did get baptized. There were choices along the way. Some people say they have repented. Um, and maybe they do at the moment. Oh, I'm feeling guilty for all I've done wrong. And so they ask God to forgive them and they're sort of feeling light because they've unburdened themselves there. But they stop making the right choices. and say, well, now you need to get baptized. Oh, that's going too far. My dad used to say, a little bit of religion's all right, but don't take it too far. And then I went and took it too far, according to him. And uh, so... We've got to keep on making the right choices. And so they made the right choice then. They got baptized and they received the Holy Spirit. And later on we read down in verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly. They made the choice to keep coming. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. So that's the way that we go. So that's through page one. Okay, not many to go. Okay, Romans chapter six, and it talks there about more about our baptism. And <clears throat> I just, uh, okay, Romans chapter six, and he starts in verse three saying, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. And so sometimes after we're baptized, we have to be reminded of the commitment that we made at baptism. Sometimes people that get married have to be reminded of the commitment that they made then. I, uh, you know, till death us do part. And uh, I remember one of my uh, nieces uh, got married and she was, uh, and she and her husband, they're still together after all these years, but they'd been living together and, um, and so he decided, 
that he'd do the honourable thing when they found out they were going to be parents. And uh, I went along to the wedding, and in their vows, performed by a civil celebrant, uh, they promised faithfully to stay together while they loved each other, which is a bit different to what God said about marriage. And uh, anyway, and some of them keep their vows better than others who think that they've promised before God we're going to work through our difficulties and forgive each other if we have to. Anyway, so um, when we get baptised, we're baptised into, baptized into his death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, our old life, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, but he that is dead is freed from sin. Um, yes, maybe I'm reading too much here for you to absorb it all. But I want to go on further down there. Uh, in verse 9 it says, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more, death has no more dominion over him. But in that he died, he died unto sin once, and in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And here's the verse we need to look at, what we need to look at ourselves. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we in Australia we we have this saying, oh yeah, I reckon this and I reckon that. Well, what it, it really means is that you calculate something and you, you add it up. And so what the Lord wants us to do is to add up, where, where am I at now? What is my relationship with God? And so our reckoning should be that, yes, I made a commitment. People talk about making a decision for Christ, and I don't really have a problem with that. I think we all did make a decision to follow Christ. But it's when people say, oh, I got saved then. Well, that's not true. You, you've got to, you've got, you, you make the decision, as we've been saying here, you make a decision to observe, you make a decision to listen, you make a decision to come to a meeting perhaps. And uh, then you've got to, when you hear what you have to do, you need to repent, you need to get baptized and receive the Spirit. But then along the way, these people are already baptized. And he said, now, I want you to really assess this. And that applies to most of us here, probably over 90%, maybe 98% of us here today are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And God is saying to each and every one of us, you've got to consider that you're dead unto sin. Let not sin therefore reign, uh, reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. And here's the point I want to make. Verse 13, Neither yield ye your members of instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, that those are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And so the decision now is who or what do we yield to? And we all do. You give in to somebody and <clears throat> or something, to some philosophy, some doctrine, some association that you have and all these sort of things. And that's that's the choice that we have to make. Are we yielding to God or are we yielding like Eve did and like Adam did and like uh, Orpah did and, and a whole host of others that we, that we could have mentioned. So <clears throat> we've got to uh, yield ourselves unto God. And let's have a look in chapter 14 while we're here in Romans. And uh, 
we're talking about the choices that we make. Uh, verse 16 of Romans 14, let not your good be evil spoken of. And so <clears throat> we do a lot of good things. When we're spirit-filled and God changes our lives and we're delivered from a lot of the bad habits that we used to have, and so now we have a testimony. But he's saying to us, don't, don't allow, don't give in to the temptation to do something that will make a, a, a slur on your testimony. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. You might witness to your neighbours and you might know your scriptures off really well. But if you go home and the next thing they hear you and your wife are having a ding-dong Barney in there and so on, they think, well, who's going to listen to them? You know, they're people who say and do not. And so... Don't let your evil, don't let your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's been talking in this chapter whether you're allowed to eat this and that and so on, but the real issue is about righteousness. Receiving the righteousness of Christ, living a righteous life, and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things which which one may edify another. Now, we can all have disagreements, and even in the church we have disagreements. We're all different personalities, and some people we like more than other people that we like. And it's true, but I mean, we've got to love everybody. And, and if you love your brothers and sisters, you will learn to like them. You'll learn to see, well, okay, they've got some glaring faults there, but maybe I've got one or two myself, or a few thousand perhaps. And so we learn to, uh, to, to like them as we learn to love them, and so on. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. That's, that's what our, our calling is now. And it goes on to say, don't destroy uh, people with what you're eating. They're talking here about eating things that have been offered in an idol's temple. He said, well, there's only meat. But if people see that, it, that you're eating something that's been offered to an idol, they think you're worshipping the idol, so it's better not to, not to eat it. He's not saying you have to be vegetarians. I hope not, anyway. And uh, so, uh, anyway, but it goes on to say, um, it is good neither... Uh, better read that verse 20 again. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things are indeed pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offence. It is good neither to eat flesh nor drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. And so we don't drink wine or beer or whiskey or anything else like that because it could be a bad example. And some people want to argue, oh, look, it's all right to have a, a, a little bit in moderation. I remember one brother saying once, well, you know, we can all have all sorts of things in, in moderation, maybe just a little bit of arsenic, a little bit of cyanide, and a little bit of nicotine, you know, just different doses of it sort of thing. No, it's better to not do it at all. Now, as a church, we have decided that we and our members, we don't drink alcohol at all. Some people leave us because of that. And they go off to, to churches where... I know of one big church that used to be just as strong as we are on uh, 
total abstinence from alcohol. Now it's all right. I think the pastors aren't supposed to drink, but anyone else can. Well, not good enough. And, uh, you know, and sometimes some of our people think, oh, we're too strict here. Want to go off. Well, if you want to go and have a drink, well, go and have a drink. But don't go telling everybody about it here and don't be surprised if you get some pastor knocking on your door and saying, make up your mind whether you're with us or not. Anyway, should I have said that? But I just did. Anyway, um, now it goes on to say, uh, verse... Uh, uh, 22, hast thou faith before thyself before God? Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. We, we make our choices. We can't make choices for you. We can't stop you from doing things which we disapprove of. But if you go on doing it, and we mightn't even know about it, but somebody's watching, and sooner or later, if you're doing things which are not scriptural, you will be caught out by those very things. Okay. All right. Let's uh, continue on. Uh, I think we've got time to have a look at uh, some strange lady over in the book of Proverbs. Okay. Proverbs chapter 7. I called her a lady, but I shouldn't have. A human being of the female variety. And uh, she's not a good lady at all. Uh, Proverbs chapter six, uh, chapter seven, rather, and verse six. And he's saying here, for at the window of my house, I looked through my casement, looked out the window, and behold, among the simple ones, some silly young idiot, I discerned among the years a young man void of understanding. He'd just got out of high school, and he just thought he could do anything. And he passed through the street near her corner and he went the way to her house. And in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and behold, there met him a woman of ill repute. We'll just put it that way. And so the idiot, he followed her. And we read down in verse 21, with her much fair speech, she called him to yield. And with the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hastes to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Now in the book of Proverbs, there's, uh, there's two women described. There's the good lady, and there's the other one. The good lady is wisdom. And uh, here is this this woman of ill repute. And this is typifying the world. And it comes in so many different forms. And just such a classic example of here of a silly young boy who is deceived by the flattery and the, uh, what was the other word that he, the fair speech. And and so it it seems okay. She's such a nice lady, and she said nice things to me. Oh, you're a beautiful young boy. I can just see you have so much potential. Why don't you come over to my house? And and this sort of thing. And that's what people do. And people get enticed away from a place of safety. He should have been still home with mum and dad. And uh, and and people get enticed away. And there are people of uh, their flattery. 
And uh, not long ago, I, I heard about uh, somebody who used to come along here um, and doesn't anymore, went to a party and uh, and uh, spoke to one of our new converts. And, oh, look, you've got a wonderful testimony. And you're, you're so clever and all this. You come along to where I go and I'm sure they've got a position for your prominence. And so, unfortunately, this sister was awake up to it all. And, and when people that flatter you, um, I've sort of noticed over the years, um, and we all like to have nice things said to us, but only when they're true, and only when they're not exaggerated, and only if they're not got an ulterior motive. So people generally that flatter you, they're actually building you up and getting your confidence because they want to run somebody else down. And so uh, um, that's what this young idiot got caught up in. So I think the example's fairly graphic, so uh, we don't need to talk about it anymore or I'll embarrass myself. Anyway, let's go to First Corinthians in chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. And oh, there's just a, one verse I want to read here. Uh, verse 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. So if you're hanging out with bad company, you'll make some bad decisions. And so the decision we make is what company do we hang out with? Now, if you're in the midst of the fellowship, where there's good, positive uh, uh, fellowship, a lot of uh, happy times together, uh, people are looking to edify each other and all that sort of thing, you will learn to make good decisions yourself. You'll learn to shy away from company that is, is being negative and, and putting people down and all that sort of thing. Now, this, this might uh, sound a bit rough, but... Um, Sometimes your biggest danger is your family. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10. Now, God is never saying to us to, to, uh, uh, despise your family. Families are, are uh, given to us by the Lord and so on. But if they interfere with your relationship with Him, you've got to make a choice. And they try to make that, make you make that choice. I was only 20 when I came to the Lord. And I, I had wonderful parents. And, uh, they weren't people that argued or anything like that. They were, they were really good parents. I had a brother and three sisters and we were a pretty happy family. But when I came to the Lord, and my parents tried everything that they could to get me away from what the Lord had just given me. And, uh, we read here, uh, in Matthew 10 and verse uh, 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Now sometimes people don't want to read these things but it's there. Jesus said this and it must it must have an application. And so there is an application and it can affect any one of us. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he that loveth not his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so we have to at times make a choice. Is it going to, Am I going to follow God 
or am I going to follow what the family are wanting me to do? And uh, it could be a life or death thing. It could be an Orpa or Ruth decision that you're making there. And so, but family, quite often, they have your best interests at heart. And uh, I guess I didn't realise how much, how deep that my mother was hurt by me uh, coming to the Lord and leaving the farm. But recently my young sister was dying and I went to see her and uh, she told me, she said, Mum, blame me for breaking up the family. And uh, and Faye said she didn't believe, she didn't agree with what Mum said about that. And so... It, it it really just hurt her deeply. But, I mean, when I look back after 60 years, what they wanted me to do, they didn't want me to become an alcoholic or anything like that. They wanted me to go back to the dear old Methodist church, which is morphed now, I think the word used, and, uh, and so on. But where has it got people? My brother, a wonderful fellow, he's passed on now. And he he made a lot of money and so on. The young sister finished up not believing in anything. So they're both gone now. And um, so what 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 did it achieve for them? And look at the blessing I've had in my life. Look at the blessing you're having in your life. So sometimes, and by the way, I still got on reasonably well and still do with, with the immediate members of my family, the two sisters that are left and nieces and nephews and all that sort of thing, we get on okay. Uh, but they don't want to come to the Lord. Well, that's their choice. But they're not going to drag me away. I tried that and it didn't work. Anyway, let's let's go to something else. Um, yeah, okay. Well, I, well, I better read this. Romans chapter 16. Because if your family is starting to run down your fellowship or your oversight, which are tied together, it could well be coming into this category here. Romans 16 and verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them, identify them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Just say to them, look, you can do whatever you like, but don't run down my church. I was talking to a brother and sister recently, lived near us, went round to see them, and they're very hospitable people. And they said, look, anybody is welcome in our house, but the moment they start running down our oversight or our church, they say, sorry, you're not welcome anymore. That's the right thing. So they're still welcome, but they've got to keep their trap shut when it comes to, uh, well, you know what I mean. Okay, now... Right, now, I won't go back to page one again because, okay. So what's the recipe for for victory? In the choices that we make, choose to channel your thoughts. Philippians 4 tells us that we're to think on things that are pure, lovely and of good report. We uh, are to learn to do this, bring every thought into subjection. So we have, we, we, we make that choice. And sometimes it's the choice we make as far as what we're going to do. We have a television, most of us, and uh, and some things come on a channel. You've got a thing these days, you don't even have to get out of your chair if your remote works, and you can switch over 
sometimes the best switch is the off button, but anyway, you try all the others. But we don't need to, need to let these things, we don't let our thoughts develop in our mind. And so that's the recipe for victory, one of them. We're to, uh, to control our thoughts. Now, one of the things, we're somewhere around Romans, Romans chapter 8, I never learn. I always put down too many scriptures because I've got... Trouble is I've been reading it for 60 years and things keep jumping out. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. You know, what some people do, they put themselves down. Later in this chapter he says, Who's going to condemn you? Christ died for you. If you want to read there from verse uh, 31, what should we say to these things that God before us who can be against us? And he goes on to say, it's Jesus who died for you. And so we say, but oh, I'm pretty useless. And, uh, and, and we put ourselves down. I don't know why God bothers with me. I'm just, I'm hopeless. People say that. Maybe some of you say that at times. Wrong. Jesus died for you. He rose for you. He came back and filled you with his spirit. He's still there. And he doesn't want you to put yourself down. That is, uh, that, that's a wrong choice. And sometimes we get wallowing in, in our own misery. Well, snap out of it if you possibly can. I know people who have mental diseases and all sorts of things and I'm not trying to belittle that at all, but often we have the capacity to rise above it and we choose not to. So the thing to do is to choose to walk in victory, choose to be happy, choose to find the right company that is going to edify you, choose to stay away from people that are going to drag you down, choose to stay away from people that are going to maybe lead you right away and uh, that'll be a bad choice. If you look around, we've been here for, for many, many years now, and you'll bump into a lot of people who used to be with us. Some of them seem to be doing reasonably okay in another church somewhere or other. The vast majority of them are lost. They're like Orpah. They've gone back, and they're, they're not to be thought of anymore. Okay, hide God's word in your heart, we read in Psalm 119. And um, uh, look, just to finish in Colossians chapter 3, I know I've gone over time again, but uh, anyway, Colossians chapter 3, and we read in verse 8, this is the choice that we need to make. Colossians 3 verse 8, but now ye also put off all of these. Choose to get rid of your anger, get rid of your wrath, get rid of your malice. Malice is the desire to hurt somebody. Sometimes people hate people so much they just want to, want to kill them almost. Put away your blasphemy. Put away your filthy communication out of your mouth. Put away your lies. Because that's part of the old man with his deeds. You choose to, to put those. Don't entertain them. But in place, you put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge of the image that created him. For there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Isn't it wonderful now that since we've got all these people coming from all over the world here, we don't have to go over to 
the other countries to preach the gospel to the rest of the world. They're all coming here. And so praise the Lord, and we've got a lot of wonderful brothers and sisters that have come from different backgrounds, and we're all one in Christ. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, vows of mercies. This is, you choose to be merciful, you choose to be kind, you choose to be humble, you choose to be meek, choose to be long-suffering, you choose to be forbearing one another. What does that mean? Put up with one another. You've got to put up with me. You've been sitting here patiently, and I don't think all of you have gone to sleep either. So we put up with one another and forgive one another. I was talking to Brother Mike Murray one day, and he said, the one thing that really scares me is what Jesus said. If you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. He said, I don't want to be in that category. That's why he's such a happy chappy. And uh, so, praise the Lord. Anyway, forgiving one another, if any have a quarrel against any, as Christ forgave you. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. It's God's love that binds us all together. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let peace rule. Give peace a chance. You know, nations have wars and they go out and uh, they fight each other and all this sort of thing and peace is declared. But so often peace is never given a chance. So let's make sure that peace rules in our hearts. (laughs) 